Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast. We are the Tottenham Hotspur theme show that is brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. We have a very busy show today. We're going to talk about a couple of games, and it's a bit of a landmark episode because for the first time in quite a while, Spurs have actually won both of the games we're going to be looking back on, which is very exciting news. And to help me get excited about those games is none other than Dave himself to start things off. Dave, welcome back to the show. You mentioned earlier you weren't feeling too good today. Can you give us a bit of detail as to what ails you? Uh, yes, I can. Hi, hi Dave. What illness have hi, you been everyone? struck down with? Um, the illness of burning the candle at both ends. <laughs> uh, um, essentially, it was my brother's 40th birthday last night, and I've had to travel back from Leeds today, and I overstretched, so I've had to uh, recover yep. as much as I could. But I'm I'm here. Yeah, I'm excited. We've got three wins to talk about. We do. We've got about the Leeds one. We do indeed. Uh, so what a wonderful time to be alive, right? Mm. Even if just barely alive, right? Barely. <laughs> well, it takes more than that to keep you away from our podcast. I'm glad you've managed to drag yourself back to the mic. So thanks for joining us. And as you say, we are going to talk about a couple of Spurs wins and also the Leeds win. So Dave, I have to admit, one of my favorite moments of the last week was probably that Leeds win. And also Ailing being interviewed afterwards saying how his celebration was him trying to do the Robbie Keane, <laughs> which he failed yeah, at spectacularly. I mean- I can't believe he actually definitely had to explain that what he was trying to do, that's how bad he <laughs> yeah, did Yeah, I didn't see it in real time, I have to admit, so he did need to explain it. All the more remarkable, like... given how bad Robbie Keane's version of the Robbie Keane was. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe that's why he said I'd do it, because, well, I can't be any worse, can I? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yes, you Even can. a successful one looks like a failed attempt. And that voice chirping in there was Elio, who joins us, as always, again for another episode. Elio, welcome back. How are you feeling? Pretty good. Yeah. Do you think you can pick up the pieces when Dave has to duck out a little bit with his hangover keeping him back? Do you think you can fill in the extra chat? I think I'll manage. I think you'll be okay, yeah. I really do hate the spotlight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you've made that abundantly clear throughout this show. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome back a third guest this week. We only had Elio and Dave last time, but this week, after a little bit of a break, we have the pleasure of Joe's company. Joe, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you, Dags. Good, glad to hear it. Word on the street, Joe, the rumours are, and I'd like you to see if you can confirm or deny, that you actually went on strike until Spurs won all their games. You didn't want to come in and talk about a defeat. I I just really hate inconsistency. So (laughs) I would only come back if either Spurs always won or always lost. But none of this win-lose nonsense. (laughs) Absolutely. Although you did mention to us earlier, which is scandalous, that you didn't listen to last week's episode. What do you no, I didn't. I didn't. No, I haven't caught up. So um, once we've done this, I can listen to two episodes in one go. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to make sure you do. I'm going to test you on the last I can, episode. I'm I can find out how Spurs did last week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, as we speak, I believe Dave is actually YouTubing the highlights of the games that he should have been doing all day, which, you know, we can cut him some slack. I think we can let him off given that he's been suffering all day. But Dave is currently doing the research for this episode. Slightly after schedule, but we'll we'll let him off. We'll let him off. I'm going to put my shades on, so watch the Brighton highlights with that away kit. Because <laughs> of how brightly our team sparkled, you mean? 
Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, totally it. Something like that. Well, Joe may not have listened to the episode, but a lot of you did. And as always, I just want to take this opportunity to thank everybody who continues to listen every week. We are going from strength to strength and we're getting more and more listeners, getting more and more followers on Twitter as well. Elio has been picking fights with people on Twitter as well. We've had a few viral tweets come out from him. He's been trolling and fishing online. So that's always good to see. But uh, in all seriousness, thanks to everyone who keeps on following us and keeps on listening to us. Great to have all of you. And as I've mentioned before, we have had a pretty good international following over the last few weeks. And we've had a new country join our ranks, actually. We've had Belgium as the latest Plus Dave listener country, which is a very good signing for the Plus Dave FC. So we might get onto that a little bit later. But as I said, we've got two games to talk about. We're going to talk about Bryson and we're going to talk about West Ham. Two victories, as I mentioned. Excellent form. So, Elio, let's take it to you first. Spurs have won two games in a row. How are you feeling about life as a Spurs fan in general at the moment? We did say last week that they were both games we should be winning. We did say last week that we'd be disappointed if we didn't win both. So I don't want to downplay the results, but I feel like we've delivered what we should. I feel like they've hit par in those two games. But I guess what does make me feel good is the level of performance. And in both games, we could have actually had double the margin that we did have and it wouldn't have flattered us. So so I think that's probably what's most worth, I guess, reflecting on. If we're not beating a very out-of-form Brighton side and West Ham off the back of their best ever European run in five decades, then I don't think we've got much to hope for at all, really. So, so no, I'm glad that Spurs didn't disappoint like they so often do. And I'm really pleased with both the level of some of the individual performances, but especially the way the team functioned as a unit. Hey, I was so excited about today's podcast. I was really looking forward to getting excited about our great wins and our emphatic performances. You've just dragged me right back down to earth. And it's just like last week. I said all I was over happy. Again. Yeah, you said you didn't sound happy though. It wasn't what you said, it was the way you said it. No, I take your point. And there are games that we should have been winning, but we have failed to win several games that we should have been winning up until now, haven't we? So Absolutely. Um, are you at least in a better mood than you were last week? Because you were a little bit grumpy last week, I'm gonna be honest. Yeah, but it made for better listening. <laughs> it definitely did. Joe, just to come back to you having missed last week's episode, you missed some vintage Elio. He did not pull his punches with Arsenal, with West Ham, with Chelsea. He went full Elio. It was good to see. No, I'm in a really good mood because, as you know, I've come to dread the Sunday 4.30 kickoff at home mm. because that leaves my start to the week the next day in, <laughs> in all sorts of disarray. Yeah. But it's worth it when the result goes well and I can't help but feel like... Ah, forget whether we as a club deserve this. I deserve this. <laughs> I, I deserve this. If anyone does, <laughs> if anyone's put in the hours, it's you and the miles. Now, I'm guessing your journey home wasn't quite so bad yesterday as it normally is, or has been in recent times. No, yeah. no. I actually listened to talk sports <laughs> on the way back to hear what those idiots had to say. And needless to say, I got bored very quickly and just put the iPod on, but it was worth it for a few minutes. Fair enough. Dave, I'm going to give you a few more minutes to catch up on our goals, just in case you haven't watched all the highlights yet. And I'm going to it come wasn't to that many. <laughs> Yeah, come on. No. <laughs> we've scored a lot of goals. And on, on that point, actually, I think we've, we've scored, I think it might be, is it 12 goals since we last had Joe on the show? And of course, we've won a few games as well. We lost a game, but we won't talk about that one. Joe, how has your Tottenham Hotspur supporting experience been over these last two weeks? Yeah, I mean... In a better mood than Elio? Not really. No, I've I've also been a bit frustrated and sulky, to be honest. We obviously had the absolute high of all being together on the last episode I was on in Kennington, mm. where we beat a certain team 4-0. But 
the inconsistency, the brutal inconsistency continued. So it's it's kind of astonishing to get two wins in a row. But I mean, exactly the same starting eleven. You know, Conte's clearly found the team he's most comfortable with. And without European football, I mean, you know, I'm looking at our five league fixtures in April and, mm. you know, we've got a chance here. You know, we've got a chance of making the top four if if this team can continue to gel and play well. Yeah. I'm just really not 100% confident in, in our consistency <laughs> Yeah, still. that's fair enough. In your mind, generally speaking, is it a case of until it is mathematically impossible, you still harbour hope? Or are you a bit more pragmatic about it than that? I'm probably a bit more pragmatic than that, if I'm completely honest. I don't have as much confidence. Like, like in the Poch days, you, you could never count Tottenham out. But I don't think we've quite got that about us anymore. Dave must be fed up of how much we go on about Pochettino in this podcast now. It's going to be him in a few <laughs> weeks about Bielsa, but maybe not based on this weekend's Well, yeah, metrics. I mean, um, Poch will be the Leeds manager soon. So. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, let's not rule that out. So Dave, have you watched all the highlights now? Have you caught up? Are you now fully prepared? Fully prepped, fully prepped, yep. 10 minutes Fantastic. in after being 45 minutes late. Yes, thank you. Then why don't you tell us the tale of the 2-0 victory against a team that had just lost four games in a row? Well, isn't it really nice just to have a regulation 2-0 win now and then? I mean, I'm asking you. I don't know. We've never done that, at least. (laughs) Um, uh, But yeah, I mean, I was paying attention to the game, I promise. Yeah, what what was the first goal was a big deflection, wasn't it, off Romero? Or an instinctive finish, depending on your viewpoint. Whatever was he doing there, but that's fine, you know, as long as it goes in. And then... And then I think Kane missed a sitter really early in the game, didn't he? But then um, made up for it with a very nice finish. And it was 2-0. Shake on 2-0. Brilliant. It's the kind of result that you never think Tottenham are going to get, but are capable of getting. I mean, looking back on it, in my slightly hazy memory, I feel like it was a fairly routine, easy victory. Am I flattering us there? Elio Joe from remembering that game, were we ever in trouble or was it a pretty comfortable win? I don't think I remember Brighton having a shot. Mm. Certainly weren't any highlights of that. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, it was routine. And even though there was a bit of fortune about the opener, we had been pressed right up against them. We had been pinning them back at that point, and And it was absolutely mm. deserved. And I mean, what can you say about the second goal? I mean, that was... Oh. That was the result of good coaching. That I mean, you know, I like Benton Core, but that goal was very much the result of a pattern of play, a team actually knowing how to build up an attack and get the ball where it needs to be when the right people are running for it, when the right people are pulling defenders out of shape and that kind of thing. And I know a lot of people always point to the defence as a reason why goals like that get scored. Well, fuck that. I mean, it was uh, an incredible pass, an incredible run and an mm. incredible finish. Mm-hmm. I think Brighton are in danger of getting that on the beach mentality very early this season. That they're, they're well safe and they've got very leaky all of a sudden. The energy levels seem to have dropped it with them. So I think it could be a rough end to the season for Brighton. So it was probably a good time to play them, which is great because we've got them again in yeah, a few weeks. Yeah, I think it's like it's like what I said on the last podcast in the sense that Two sides of it, but obviously what I mentioned last podcast was about the striker situation, that they didn't go out and they didn't buy the striker, so they've only got themselves to blame. Mm. It's evident in the results that they're having, and they've I think they've lost all of the games that they've lost in a row to nil as well, so they haven't even scored a goal in yeah. that period. And I've now just checked the stats, and it was 15 shots that they had, zero on target. So that tells its own story, doesn't it? If you're at home, you can't get mm. a shot on target. Plenty of possession. They are trying to play the way that the manager wants them to play, but 
they've just not got any cutting edge at the end, and and that was obviously what you did have with a world class striker in Harry Kane. Absolutely. Let's talk about Kane. We always talk about Kane, and we're going to talk about him in the West Ham game as well. He's pretty much back to his best now, isn't he? I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not much more to say on it than that, is there? He, um, I actually think that the last few games he's taken it up a notch from what we previously thought was his best. Okay, that's with yeah. the caveat that his finishing probably isn't completely on point by his standards at the moment, but he's kind of got the cane of last season with the dropping off and playing great passes in behind. But mm. combined with the athleticism of his earlier career, where he was just bullying defenders, and those two things combined make for a really dangerous player. I, I genuinely think that as an all-round footballer, he's gone up another level. We're on Kane 3.0 now. Yeah. Hopefully it lasts like this, because, God, it's a hell of a lot to put on one player's shoulders when he's playing every week. But he mm. he's got that sort of aggressive streak that he hasn't had for a few years in his game at the moment where he is chasing down defenders where he is playing on the shoulder where he is getting rough with centre-backs at the same time as playing those beautiful passes and that really sort of game at his own pace type of football and it's really hard to think of another forward that has as many of the various forward traits that Kane Mm. has at this higher level at the same time. I mean, I thought this before, but yeah, it's been irrepressible yeah. the last few games. Obviously, Dave saw it firsthand with us recently as well. Um, mm. Whether that's at all to do with his finishing also being a touch below what you expect, because maybe he's doing so much that he's shattered by the time he gets a chance, I don't know. It's probably just coincidence, but, but mm. if he can get his finishing up to where it was last season as well, on top of keeping everything else, then we're talking about one of the best strikers of all time. I'm just looking at a tweet right now from Sandy Tate FM on Twitter saying, just thought of a really simple FM22 edit to make Tottenham title contenders. Just create a copy of Harry Kane so you can have Harry up top converting all the chances that the other Harry creates. That would be nice, <laughs> wouldn't it? Maybe that's going to be our next simulation on Football Manager. But no, <laughs> absolutely, you say with Kane and... A team of Harry a team of Harry Kane's would be interesting. I mean, Elio did say last week that he wanted him marking Ronaldo for the corner. So, you know, maybe maybe a team of Harry Kane's would be an interesting experiment, actually. Just on Kane, actually, a few things worth noting. Elio shared some stats on him in terms of the breakdown of all of his goals that he scored. And it was interesting that approximately a third of all his goals with his feet have been with his left foot, which I can't say with certainty, but that must be higher than nearly any other top-level striker. You don't have that many strikers that score that many goals with their supposed weaker foot, do you? And he's done it again. He, I mean, he's a got lot the Premier recently. League record scoring with his left. What with? I think he's got the Premier League records, or maybe he's one off someone for for goals with his weak foot. With his weaker foot, really? Yeah, yeah I'm sure Duncan Alexander You're made a point about that. You're never seeing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Dave, on that point, I was just about to launch into some more stats about Kane. You were trolling me on Twitter earlier with one of our tweets, but it's interesting to note that Kane actually has created the most chances in the last four games and has the highest. XG and one of the highest XA as well but I think one thing that's just to tie in with what Elio mentioned earlier he's actually for the first time in his Spurs career and I believe this was true as of a few weeks ago I suspect it might still be the case he's actually underperforming on his XG for the first time ever which would be concerning if he wasn't scoring at all but it just shows that this Kane could become a real force to be reckoned with if he starts scoring at the rate that he used to with everything else in his game do you think that's possible Joe or do you think by doing everything else that he's doing, 
it's inevitably going to impact his ability in front of goal. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that very strongly. And and that was what was getting really frustrating in the first half of the season because he was just playing so deep because he was getting atrociously bad service back in the Nuno days, mm. if you remember them. <laughs> yeah, um, vaguely. But nobody else was stepping up to score. Even Son was playing very disappointingly at the time. Mm. So, unfortunately, unless you do this clone Kane so you can have him at number 9 and number 10, mm. we are losing an awful lot of goals when he plays this really nice football a little bit deeper. So the tough question for us is where would you rather have him? Yeah. A couple of other players worth mentioning. Now, obviously, players that were heavily involved in the West Ham game as well, and we'll probably come back to them. But I just want to talk about Kulisevsky first. We already mentioned him. Another assist for Kulisevsky. Completely meant it, of course. He's racking up quite the repertoire of unintentional assists, isn't he? Like his chip up for the handball for the penalty, and obviously now this deflected shot. But... He's been very good consistently in nearly every game he's played, hasn't he, over the last few games? Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And it's kind of weird how Lucas has just completely disappeared from the picture. You know, mm. I think what we were saying in the first half of the season is Lucas was one of the few players that seemed to be putting a shift in and actually bringing something to the team when we were playing so badly. And, you know, it was commendable, but it was horrible to rely on that. And what you're seeing happening is, is now that you bring some competition in for those places, especially the front three, mm. the difference it's making now where, you know, Lucas is just basically a bench warmer at the moment because Kulisewski, who I thought felt like he was by far the least well-known of the two Juventus signings. I think we're all way more yeah. excited about Bentancur coming in. I, mm. I didn't really know Kulisewski. I didn't really know what he was going to bring exactly. But he has just been terrific, consistently terrific since he joined. And as you say, he's racking up the assists quite quickly now, intentional or not. Well, since his debut, looking at the front three, actually, Kulusevski himself has six combined goal contributions, goals and assists. Son has seven and Kane has 10. So we've got a real front three now. You know, there was always that one missing that wasn't quite pulling his weight, but we've got a real serious front three. Um, dropping back into the midfield for a second, though, Benton Kerr is another player who was excellent in probably both games. We talked about his performance against Man United was probably his worst performance almost by default because he's been really good in pretty much every other match. But Elio, tell me about Benton Kerr. Talk to me about him because I know he's a player that you are an admirer of. When we signed him, I gave my sort of YouTuber scouting sort of appraisal yeah. of what I was expecting him to be. And as is always the case with me, I, I put quite an optimistic tinge on it. But the good thing is, and if we replayed back to those episodes before we'd even seen him kick a ball for us, he's living up yeah. to what I was saying about him. And that was an optimistic viewpoint based on write-ups on YouTube. So, and, and I openly admit that. But he is living up to that. He is actually doing what we've needed a midfielder to do for a while. Yes, he's also doing the diligent defensive stuff. In fact, he's doing it brilliantly. But he's he's turning over play quickly. He's converting defence into attack with his bravery on the ball, his ability to take it in tight spaces, his drive. And that's really something... I'd say we've missed that since Zembele. And to tell you the truth, while Dembele was an enormously talented player... This guy is probably feeding the attack more quickly than Dembele used to. Dembele used to mm. dribble up the pitch a lot and then play a pass. And it was lovely to watch, but there was often a packed defence by the time Dembele got up there. And thankfully, we also had Eriksen in that side. This guy's yeah. actually getting Kane and Son and Kulusevski the ball when we've got the opposition backpedalling. And that's a really, really dangerous weapon to have because... Yeah. 
you don't need in a Conte system to have a world-class player in every position. You need to have a good player who can actually apply the requisite instructions for that role. And a central midfielder in this system needs to be able to actually bring everyone else into the game the moment he gets the ball. And that's what Benzikul does. And listen, there's still an element of sideways and backwards because he's learning this league and he's not stupid. He's not going to give away possession for the sake of it. And I think that's what I like about him, that it is what looks like risky manoeuvres are actually all really, really calculated. Um, he he did this wonderful turn and pass out of defence yesterday on the edge of our own area when he actually turned on the ball outside our own area and then played it into the attack to Kane and then Kane's pass didn't quite get to Son. Um, it was almost Cruyff-turn-esque on the edge of his own area and you'd usually be doing your nut at a midfielder doing that, but he looks so <laughs> calm and collected doing it. And yeah. then you think, well, he's going to get caught one day doing that. But it's not as if he's doing that five times a game. He, he's picking his moments, mm. and that's the sign of an aware footballer. That was the clip you sent with the Benoit Asuokoso comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The way he just kind of casually turned two defenders inside out on the edge of his own box. Yeah, yeah. now I'm with you now. I was actually going to ask you, you might have just answered, I was going to say, in all seriousness, who was the last midfielder we had who was as good as him? If we can assume that what we've seen is a good enough sample size, would you say we have to go back as far as Dembele to someone who is on that level? Well, since Dembele, our midfielders have been Winks. <laughs> yeah. Sissoko. It's a rogues gallery. More Winks. Rookie Oliver Skip, who yeah. we all love very dearly and can't wait for him to be playing again, obviously. Mm-hmm. More Sissoko. Hoiberg. Mm. I mean, it's not been pretty. So, and Dombele, <laughs> who we don't need to revisit. We, we've done enough of we've done, Yeah, we've given him enough airtime. Lo Celso. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's chalk and cheese between everything we've had since mm. January 2019. That's three years without a midfielder who takes real responsibility for the ball. But the other great thing about him is, look how much better Hoybier has been since he's been paired with Benton Court, because all of a sudden he's not mm. doing the work of an entire midfield by himself. And his flaws, which is yeah. a bit of slowness, a bit of immobility, aren't being exposed because he's got this sort of up-and-down athlete next to him. And he's actually passing the ball well. He puts in that wonderful ball against Leeds for Kane to score with his left. He put in a great yeah. pass again last night for Kane to somehow sky. Like he He's suddenly been, yeah. become a better player. And we know I'm not a lover of Hoybier, but he's doing the business. And a big part of that is actually having a midfield partner that complements him. I mean, we touched on it last week, didn't we? We were talking about, I think I read out a tweet suggesting that it does really suit Hoiberg to play in that too. And I've got some stats here from Match of the Day. It's interesting you mentioned it. I was going to save it for talking about the West Ham game because they are from the West Ham game. But since you mentioned it, it's stats just looking at those two in the West Ham game. And it's comparing Benzikar and Hoiberg in terms of their total touches, their total passes and their total accurate passes. And for every metric, Benzikar is second and Hoiberg is actually top of all of those. Now, yeah, maybe he was playing safer passes. It, it doesn't paint the whole picture, but still, they are number one and two. 103 touches for Bentenko, 104 for Hoiberg, and you know, in the 90s for pass completion accuracy. That's brilliant from a midfield, isn't it? And we've not seen that from Hoiberg. Between the two of them, they made Declan Rice look like Sean Longstaff <laughs> yesterday. There he is. There's Sean Longstaff. It's been a while. Well, I was going to go with Nicky Butts. 
I was going to go with Nicky Butt, but then I remember that Nicky Butt did win a treble and many other trophies as well. So it felt a little bit remiss of me to disagree with Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, I'm not that (laughs) cocky yet, but uh, but you did one favour with Dave at least. Well, quite. Plus, we're playing Newcastle next, so yeah, maybe the Sean Longstaff reference was a timely one. Mm. Um, Speaking of. Bentico, actually, we ran a poll on our Twitter. I'm not sure if you guys have seen the results. So if you have, then um, obviously you'll you'll be cheating by giving an answer to this. But I asked our followers who they were most happy with out of those three signings from Serie A, out of Romero, Kulusevski, and Bentico, and it was fairly close. Dave, Joe, if you had to guess who came out on top of that particular poll, who would you go for? I mean, I'd choose Romero personally, yeah. but I have a feeling you're going to say it was Bentanker. Surely they went Kulusevski because he scored goals and. That's the memorable stuff that happens <laughs> we like in, goals. in football games, especially in Twitter. Yeah, no, you're right, Dave. It, it was Kudusevsky with 44% and then Romero with 33 and Benton Kerr with 23 I mean, look, I'm sure they're all very popular. I don't think anyone regrets the signing of any of them. But it's funny, though. Been very good. If you had to ask me which is the most important player in our team of the three which has been the best Mm. signing I genuinely wouldn't be able to answer you because Kulusevsky has given our attack that ingenuity and that craft that you've heard me harp on about at least a million times Romero has Mm. given our defence that brilliant sort of aggression and reading of the game and ability to actually stop an opposition attack before it even starts and Bentoncourt has given us that midfielder taking responsibility for making the game around him happen. I mean, all three of them have come in and done roles that it's amazing we went this long without anyone doing those roles, to tell you the truth. I mean, I guess that's mm. what happens when you lose Ericsson, Dembele and Vertonghen and Alderweireld all in the space of two years. I mean, Jesus yeah. Christ, I'm amazed that the stadium wasn't half full half the time now that I hear back <laughs> that sentence. <laughs> No, that's the thing, isn't it? They were all filling a very much needed gap and they were all very good signings, weren't they? Which is why we ran the poll because it's quite a close call between them and there's no obvious obvious answer. If you ask all of the many, many haters of Enoch and Levy, we were just mopping up Juve rejects because Paratici's mm. a fraud and a tax evader. This is what people on Twitter say. It must be true then. Yeah, we might be getting another one as well. Apparently the, the Dybala hype train is up again because Romano has come out no. and said he's leaving. No. And, and of course we're signing Dybala because that, you know, two and two is four. I mean, to tell you the truth, I don't think I'd want him. He's got a bad injury record, I've noticed. He's got a bad so injury you... record and he's got a bad goal-scoring record of far more concern. And, and be, I mean... He's spending <laughs> well, a fortune not a problem, on, his, on his wages. So he could have said needs to be deployed elsewhere. be a terrible signing. That's, terrible that's signing. the big thing, isn't it? And that's exactly why he wants to leave, because they're not paying him enough. If Juventus aren't paying him enough, you suspect we probably won't be paying him enough. His first three seasons for Juventus, he got 19, 11 and 22 goals in the league, respectively. The past four seasons, he's got 5, 11, 4 and this season he's on 8. I mean, he's the same age as Harry Kane. If we're getting someone that is either going to displace one of our current attackers because he's good enough to, or if he's going to really push Kane and even succession plan for Kane, then I want someone who scores goals at a one and two rate. And not 28. Um, yeah. And not Ideally, 28. Yeah. But he's very good on FIFA, so fans on Twitter will want him. Mm. And when we don't get him and he ends up at Barcelona or something like that, they'll all get the pitchforks out and the torches out, won't they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, talking about transfers uh, is just 
the best way to get no, the worst I of don't. me. No, no, I didn't expect any more out of you there, Elio, and I was a very um, throwaway, tongue-in-cheek reference to that, and I don't want to breathe any life into it or give it any more dignity than that, because you know it's it's not the right time and it's a ridiculous rumour anyway, but we'll, we'll get on to that. So, still on the Brighton game, I mean, we talked about a couple of chances, and Kulisevsky had a one-on-one as well, really nice assist from Benson Kerr. Is there anything more to say on that game before we move on to the West Ham one? Because I feel like we're kind of talking about both games in one when we're focusing on individual players. But is there anything that we've missed or anything worth noting about Brighton in particular? Um, Pretty easy routine, done and dusted. I didn't realise they dived quite as much as they do. (laughs) Glass houses. We're going to talk about Son soon, right? (laughs) Let's talk about Son, Son Valdo, shall we? In fact, while we're there, we're jumping to the West Ham game already. We might as well get into it. I've got a tweet here from Dave's brother, Carl, just saying, question for the panel, what in the world was Son thinking when Zuma kicked the ball at him? And if you don't know what we're talking about, it was basically Rivaldo from 2002 against Turkey. Zuma, who had been getting relentlessly booed, rightly so, all game, just booted the ball at Son's back. Not particularly hard. And uh, Son went down crying, which it's a shame to see because he's such a likable character, Son. You don't expect that from Son, do you? (laughs) <laughs> it's just no, ridiculous. No comments on that. <laughs> what do you think of that, Dave? Come on, this is this is your territory, Dave. You come on, go in, go in on to, I, Let's have it. I mean, you saw that. You see the best and the worst of him in, in the same game, don't you? Yeah. I mean, it's just I, to be honest, the falling down when you get the ball booted at you. I mean, it's it's silly because there's absolutely no reason yeah. to do it. But I, the one that I saw, which which made me actually just go, "Oh my god, that's ridiculous," was the ref. Oh, just clattering <laughs> he him. He runs in. He runs into the ref. And falls down. Yeah, and the ref didn't. The ref oh, was fine. It's ridiculous. It's just oh god, it's so embarrassing. So embarrassing. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But it's but, just you know, it's Premier League football. I'm sure the Le- Leeds player will do it at some point this season. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? You, you like to think that your players are better than that, and that your players aren't like all those others that you call God knows what kind of names every week. But the thing is, you've seen the isolated clip of that. What's that clip? And I saw you shared this on Twitter. Doesn't show you. Is that immediately after? that ball didn't reach Son because the ref got in the way. West Ham nicked it to charge up the pitch and had a very, very dangerous counter-attack that they could have scored from. So imagine if they score because the ref has stopped Son getting the ball. So yes, Son shouldn't fall over like that. That's pathetic. But at the same time, it's drawing attention to the fact that he would have had the ball had the ref not essentially obstructed him so i mean what happens if west ham score from that counter-attack i'm not do they just i love how every week i love how elio appoints himself as our player's lawyer every week last week it was romero after the maguire he just has to be devil's advocate i'm I'm looking at it right now (laughs) he just didn't need to fall over elio okay he literally it was it was no more or less than you standing next to someone on the tube (laughs) if west ham score from that counter-attack then if Son West Ham fallen from down. that counter-attack, do you give them the goal? Yes, of course. Son shouldn't have fallen over. Mm. It's, but it's, he, it's, not a, it's not a debate, surely. He shouldn't have fallen over. Do you think there's this kind of hardwired, instinctive thing with footballers where they, they just feel contacts and they instinctively fall down because it's been drummed into them that if they don't, they won't get the fouls? I mean, it has to be. It has to be. There's no way that's gone yeah. through his brain and gone, you know what? I should go down. <laughs> It's like how they all roll just, over six times holding yeah. their face, even though they've been kicked in the legs. It's like muscle memory. Yeah. And as for the ball being kicked at him thing, 
you don't like to see that at all. You just don't. It's it's not nice. At the same time, the amount of kicks him and other players, but especially him, get in the game that don't even get sniffed at by the ref or VAR. I don't actually blame players when they do get theatrical for an incident where someone does initiate contact with them because they do need to be protected better than they are. And prime example of this is Mikel Antonio's mm. forearm smash into Eric Dyer, who already has a, a band around his head from him <laughs> being bloodied up by um, Neil Malpay in the previous game. And that wasn't even looked at by the ref. No free kick, no booking, no VAR, no nothing. And Antonio, I mean, West Ham should have been down to 10 men. That was yeah. disgraceful. That was, no that was Ben Thatcher-esque. No and, question. And so when Son goes down because the ball hit him in the back of the leg because Zuma kicked it aggressively, yeah, it's a bit wimpy. But you know what? When refs are letting assault go on the pitch, then I sympathise with players trying to get what they can out of them in situations like that because referees aren't strong enough, unfortunately. The defence rests. There we are. But no, Elliot, that is a very good point. And I was obviously going to bring that up because... That was a horrible, horrible attack from Antonio. Absolutely nowhere near the ball. And the most shocking thing is, as you say, the fact that nobody picked it up. I don't understand how that just goes unnoticed. I think coming back to the point about players it's instinctively it's falling Antonio. over. Antonio. No, I think it's I think it's because Antonio. it's Dyer. everyone's favourite underdog. He does his little Homer Simpson dance when he <laughs> scores, and he's a bit of a joker, and and therefore he's allowed to try Possibly, and rearrange people. But coming back though. to what we were talking about a second ago with Dave, is there potentially an element that Dyer is just too hard? Dyer just didn't milk it enough. He just took it like a man, went on with the game and didn't cry about it, even though he got a full-on forearm to the face or elbow to the face. If that was Son, he'd still be crying on the floor now. If that was Neymar, he'd be in hospital. I mean, do you not think there's an element of, of the fact that it was Dyer sort of just being too honest? Well, in that case, you can't win. You're either too honest yeah. and yeah. and players don't get punished or you're too deceptive and you get a hammering on Twitter. I mean... yeah. No, I'd rather be deceptive. It shouldn't, and get the it shouldn't, it shouldn't be in the hands of the players. You know what is yeah. VAR for if it's not for seeing those things yeah. again and going. You need to have a look at that. Is that not being looked at retrospectively though? Because I can't understand why it wouldn't be. I don't know if there's a rule on it if it wasn't even investigated during the game that they can't or something. Or surely somebody the ref is, didn't... it should be allowed to be investigated if it's not in the referee's match report. Yeah. So it's something that they missed. Yeah. Which obviously it must if have been. it's not in the ref's match report, it means he didn't see it. If he didn't see it, it can be investigated. Mm. If he did see it and he didn't he take should any be investigated. action, that's yeah. 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 He was a weak ref. Speaking of hammerings, let's talk about us hammering the hammers. Let's get into the game in a bit more detail. Yesterday's game, three one. We put up another tweet, another poll, just to gauge how important this game was after talking about the rivalry in inverted commas last week. I said, how big a game is the West Ham fixture for you Spurs fans? Is it huge up there with the North London derby? Is it bigger than a normal game? Or is it just another match? 22% said it's just another match. Elio, I know you were in that 22%. For the record, bigger than a normal game won with 43%. But uh, did it feel like a, just another game at the stadium and the atmosphere? Or did it feel like something a bit bigger when you were there? Um... I mean, any game where we play well and where the opposition fans are being gobby is always going <laughs> to create a good atmosphere. So, so it felt, it felt like how every football match should feel, quite frankly. I yeah. mean, I don't like it that perceived lesser opponents are given 
less of a reception because to tell you the truth the fans do make a difference to player performance and and this is why I hate it when fans boo during active play and rubbish like that and get players on backs because it does have an impact mm. so yeah the, the atmosphere was better than in all likelihood if we were playing Burnley or, or whatever but that's how it should be against Burnley as well, in my opinion. And as far as I'm concerned, you also have to look at the players for helping generate that atmosphere by actually playing well. And you look at the manager for the way he conducted his pre-match interviews and the way he was behaving on the touchline. Mm. And that, that gets the fans going. So credit to the team for giving us a derby atmosphere. But yeah. West Ham are still not even in... <laughs> my top 10 most disliked football clubs. Their fans are another matter. They're a bunch of... Careful now. But but they're... Yeah, yeah, as a club, Mm. they're like Villa. They're like Norwich. They're just just a club (laughs) that have spent some time in the league below, some time in this league, have won a few trophies in the past, and I don't really miss them when they're gone. Wow, you picked up where you left off last week. This is great to hear. <laughs> Joe, if, if you've been in the stadium, a couple of questions. Would you have been joining in with the relentless booing of Kurt Zuma? And secondly, do you think it might have had an impact on his involvement in the own goal? I would have definitely joined in with the Zuma abuse. I was very, <laughs> very pro yep. pro that. Um, no, I don't I don't think... It, these guys are so professional. I mean, I'm, I'm sure this sort of thing can get to them, but I, I would have thought in the first 10 minutes, 15 minutes, he, he's going to be expecting absolute abuse at an away game as important as this. So I don't think it led to the own goal. The own goal was because, you know, we just broke too fast. And, you know, if you hit a ball across the six-yard box, you're going to cause havoc that can lead to own goals. So uh, sadly, I don't think the chance directly caused the own yeah. goal, but who knows, maybe it did. Well, we talked about it last week, didn't we? How own goals is now our third top scorer, and now we've yes yeah, pulled one ahead of of the rest of the pack. So, yeah, can't say that's a, <laughs> that's a, a shock. But it was technically an assist for Harry Kane, one of three assists he got. So. We're going to have to talk about Harry Kane again, I guess, because he had a hell of a game. It would have been five successive Premier League games in which he'd scored had he got the goal, but ridiculous. He's now got 19 assists since the beginning of last season, which is more than any other player in the Premier League. Dave, now that you've watched all the highlights, what do you make of Harry Kane's performance and Spurs' performance as a whole? I've forgotten I actually watched this game. (laughs) You said last week, I should add, that you weren't going to watch it because you thought it might be a bit of a boring one. You thought yeah, you might watch the watched, Brighton game. I watched quite a lot of it, actually. So watching the highlights, it's been such a blur the last 24 hours, but watching the highlights kind of <laughs> jogged my memory a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, a really impressive performance. Son probably gets the headlines for the goals and for the ridiculousness of his jumping up and down and falling on the ground. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you can't underestimate how valuable it is to have a striker like Kane, who can both score and get involved deeper and set it up for the other players, you know, mm. and, and and it's it's what we've already said on this podcast, and we've probably said it a few other times as well, in the sense that, you know, it's so, so useful to have multiple world-class players in the team, because you don't have to rely, <laughs> you don't have to rely on one, and you know, when you've got, mm. when you've got Son playing like Son's playing, and you've got Kane playing like Kane's playing, yeah. When they're both on fire, it's brilliant. When one is maybe jaded and maybe needs a rest, which I think probably Son did need yeah. a, a bit of a rest, um, which he probably didn't get because you don't have the depth that maybe Dybala would give you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I kind of agree with you on that one in terms of the age and the, and the injury proneness. Yeah. Um, but, you know, get another one, start rotating, 
Yeah. You know, Man City do it. Man City do it very well. They keep all, all their players happy by doing the rotations and scoring goals and doing really well. Mm. So it's, it's tried and tested in that sense. But yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, it must be wonderful for you to be really good strikers. <laughs> I mean, it's a good point. I saw a tweet earlier just asking who's been our player of the season and the variety of responses just said it all because most seasons are probably an obvious standout answer. And I would probably still go ahead and say Kane just based on how good he has been in the games that he's been good. But it's definitely not clear in any one direction, which is good to see. Uh, you mentioned Son getting the headlines. Um I want to talk about Son. We talked about him a lot last week, as Joe will hear later on when he listens to the podcast. Elio, I want to ask you about someone because in a way, his performance against West Ham, for me, kind of epitomized, it was the ultimate vindication of what we said about him. It epitomized what we described him as in that he scored two goals. He pretty much scored a hat-trick because he was there for the own goal. But I don't think he had a very good game. And it sounds horrible to just be slating one of our best players who's getting the results. But And it's not just, I've seen other people have this opinion on Twitter as well. Am I being harsh in saying that apart from taking two very well-taken finishes, one of them was deflected, admittedly, he didn't do that much and he actually was a bit of a liability at times? Um, Am I going too far? I don't, I don't so want to criticise him. I love Son. I don't, I don't want to be that guy. Son is the second top scorer in the league at the moment behind Mohamed Salah. And yeah. Son is, I believe, on course to having his best goal scoring season in the league for us as well let me yeah. have without taking penalties it must be look at said. the stats so like Salah. um he, he scored 17 last season he's on 13 for this season it's very conceivable that son at this rate will get at least another four goals by the end of the season so he's for all intents and purposes having a great season he's making goals he's scoring goals He's actually getting involved a lot in play as well. Like I said last week, he's dropping deep, getting the little touches here and there. He's getting involved in our build-up a lot more than he used to. But he he can't seem to control the football. <laughs> um, that's probably... I mean, there's no other way to put it. He his His touch seems to have gone. He's making so many sloppy passes. And I'll tell you what Son has become. Son has become... Deli Alley of sixteen seventeen essentially, a mm. guy who is there for all the key moments, but is actually doing a lot to damage our play when he's not at it as well. Mm. And almost every attack that comes against us in the last couple of games has come from a son miscontrol or, or a son bad pass. That said, West Ham's best chance when Antonio was through, he was actually played in by Harry Kane. So <laughs> just to keep some balance here. Yeah. Harry Kane, who we're roundly praising, is also guilty of a f*** up there, but... He's undroppable. Listen, I... You can't leave him out of the side. Of course you can't drop him. No. I mean, the guy's scoring or making a goal every yeah. game. He's statistically on ridiculous form, and you'd back him to keep it up for the rest of the season. And mm. I guess then you have to think of the question, what would you rather? A guy who is doing absolutely everything right, but not putting the finishing touches on it in the hope that the overall team play was good enough that you had concerted pressure whereby other guys were scoring at least, or someone who's maybe a bit counterproductive in what he does for the team because of the flaws I've just described, but is always in the right place to either make or score a goal. And I think 
you'd rather have the second one because at least with that one, you know you're going to get the assist or the goal. It's sort yeah. of you'd rather have a bird in the hand than two in the bush sort of situation. And and I guess it's a bit like Cristiano Ronaldo at Manchester United. The fans there are constantly having this argument over whether or not they should be playing clearly the best goal scorer at the club, but is he hazardous to their overall game? I wouldn't go as far to say Sons has this to our overall game, though, given the fact that he's got this relationship by Kane where they know where each other's always going to be. I wouldn't go that far. but Interesting comparison. But it is definitely a head-scratcher as to how someone can give you so much good and so much bad at the same time. It's one of the modern phenomena of Tottenham Hotspur FC. Joe, since you weren't on the pod last week, we did talk about this exact topic to quite an extent. So I'm just curious to get your thoughts on this. Do you see where we're coming from? Do you ever look at Son and think, this guy doesn't look like a footballer, and then he puts the ball in the net? Or are Elio and I in some strange parallel universe where we're just seeing something different to everyone else? Well, I mean, I remember, again, going back to the first half of the season where we had so few positives to say on like the first 10 or 12 episodes we did and the yeah. one thing that we could say every week was at least Son's making good runs at least there's energy coming from him his running off the ball's really good yeah. I remember just saying that that's, that's all we had in the Nuno days yeah we did say this last week as well yeah we, he was yeah and it, but you know to be fair sure. it's not like he was scoring that many himself I think what might have changed is you know since Conte's come in and very much this calendar year so far there's been such a great uptick in the other individuals' performances, especially Kane, that I don't think Son's really gone up much of a percentage where all the players around him seem to have improved by, you know, several percent. So that might be making Son look artificially worse at the moment. It's just everybody else's performances have improved so much, maybe. Maybe that's a kind way to put it. That's a very diplomatic way of putting it. But for the record, I just want to say that I love human son and I always will. And I wouldn't ever suggest we don't play him. He just baffles me just a little bit sometimes. Dave probably thinks we're absolutely insane even <laughs> yeah. having this conversation. <laughs> it's like, be grateful for what you've got. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. You've got one of the best players in the world in your team. Just shut up and enjoy it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Speaking of crazy. son, let's talk about the third goal, the one that pretty much wrapped it up for us. How did you guys enjoy the Route 1 comes back to that tweet, doesn't it, that someone posted when we were under Mourinho saying Spurs are just Burnley with Son and Kane. <laughs> it was basically what we saw in that moment. I loved it because it's not how we play at all, as shown by all the other goals we're scoring. But the fact that we had that in our locker when West Ham were getting desperate and throwing players forward to get an equaliser, it's the only time Kane actually managed to get ahead of Dawson and the cat killer all game as well and he got ahead of them won a great header and Son made that lovely run got in and and scored and Mm. it's nice I I don't want us to be predictable and being able to do that from time to time I wouldn't want that to be our plan a but (laughs) it's a great thing to be able to catch the opposition out from time to time and this is why I love the fact that we still do have a good six foot one, six foot two centre forward in our side who can win those kinds of balls against centre backs. According to David Moyes, we didn't create anything. We just sat on the counter attack and let them have the ball. Any comments on that? Uh, he, he needs to um, rewatch the match, I would suggest. <laughs> Very politely put. Joe, what did your dad text you after the Zuma own goal? He said, uh, tickled me. This is a catastrophe <laughs> for West Ham. And then he said, your podcast can have that. (laughs) Well, there we are. Thank you. Thank you very much for that, Mike. We appreciate that. So, 
the West Ham game, Joe, I want to ask you this because you had a slightly different experience of watching this game than we did. You admitted earlier that you had to take off towards the end, about 60 minutes in, and listen to the end of it on radio. Now, for me, that was the point at which it started to get a little bit nervy. And you said you felt fairly confident throughout the whole game. What gave you that confidence? I, I mean, yeah, so we, we had a talk about this before we started recording, but I'm actually going to give West Ham some credit here. You're going to hate to hear. I think that victory over Sevilla on Thursday, I think that is an astonishing victory to beat the kings of the Europa League over 120 minutes and hold your nerve mm. the way they did. I, I give them a huge amount of credit for that. I also can't believe that David Moyes basically plays the same 11 guys every game and it, they are a yeah. workhorse team. So yeah. I just, I, I didn't want to get ahead of myself, but I thought surely that severe game is going to take its toll because it's not like they've rotated the team for the Spurs game. It's basically the same side. Mm. So I felt surely, because we don't have European football, sadly, <laughs> this season, at, at this point anyway, that they wouldn't be able to compete with us physically. Now, they were much better than I thought in the first half, although I did think Craig Dawson in particular looked... A, he didn't look like he was coping particularly well with the runs that Son and Kulisewski were making in behind him. And he got booked quite early. And I, mm. I was predicting he might do something stupid later and get a second booking maybe, which, to be fair, he didn't. But I, I thought in the second half, from the what I watched up yeah. until the 60-plus minutes... To me, it looked like West Ham was, was starting to lose that intensity in the middle of the field, but they had been better than us in, in midfield. And from what it sounded like switching over to radio, I wasn't getting the impression that, that West Ham were threatening us too much. And I just felt confident we were going to catch them on the break, which we, you know, we did in a slightly unspurs way with that route one goal. But it kind of finished the way that I felt it was going. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely worth noting that they are the least rotated team in the Premier League and they had played the game 120 minutes a day later than we played. So obviously that was going to be a thing. But interestingly, it was around that point where you started switching over to radio that they switched up formation. And they actually had a spell of about 10 minutes where they had something like 75-80% possession. Now, they didn't do very much with it. But for me, and I'm curious, Elio, if you had a similar thought process, I think the more we started to dominate the attacking phases of play and have chances and miss chances and not take them when they came, the more I started to feel like I'd seen the script before. And you could just see the 89th minute corner coming in at 2-1. Were you confident at any point in that game or was it not until the third goal that you thought this is done? Even after the third goal, I was... Uh, <laughs> well, Lanzini was off by then. I, I was very upset with Son when he gave away a needless corner, Poor having Son. us already conceded from a needless corner. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't know why I'm picking Dave, up. Dave, do you want Son? Because we don't want him. You take him at Leeds. <laughs> but um, he gave away a needless corner, which was a 50-50 that he could just send forward. And given how bad we are from corners, I think that was the point that I texted you guys in the group and said, needless corner given away you know what happens yeah. here we're going to concede and well, that's how we did concede we wasn't it but Doherty giving away that a is how we conceded early, yeah. earlier on yeah and yeah the the more we missed chances the more we didn't make changes the more pessimistic I became mm. thankfully it didn't transpire to be but the first sort of 10-15 I think we were the better team in the first half quite comfortably and were very unlucky to only have a one goal lead First 15 minutes of the second, West Ham made changes. They went into more of a 4-3-3 and, and yeah. they took over the midfield and they played really, really well and could have got an equaliser in that. Thankfully, they did not, but it wasn't cut and dry. Yeah. But 
even without us really making much of a change, we definitely didn't make a substitution, but I didn't see any particular tweak to formation. But all of a mm. sudden, from sort of the middle of the second half onwards, we started keeping the ball relentlessly and they were just chasing around and they looked like a bunch of fat middle-aged men after 30 mm. fags not able to keep up with sort of young athletes. They just couldn't get near us and it was a real joy to watch. And I think yeah. I think that was as much to do with what we were doing with the ball as it was to do with their European excursions. I don't sympathise with teams who have a European match and it goes the distance and then they end up running out of puff the next game. I'm sorry, if you're in Europe, build up your squads. They brought mm-hmm. in, they didn't, don't have Bowen available, obviously, but they, they brought in Yarmolenko, they brought on Fornells. These are good players yeah. that get into most teams. So mm-hmm. they obviously spent a bit of money on Vlasic as well and they brought him on. So so they, they could have started these guys if they wanted. They chose not to and that's fine. I'll take it. I don't really know what point I was trying to make here. I've kind of talked myself into some forgetfulness, but <laughs> well, it was a good point. I'm sure it was. Well, I mean, it, it was. I'm sure it was an excellent point. And speaking of excellent points, Conte made a couple of interesting comments after the game, which echoes what you were just saying, saying we played from the start to the end and we were able to control the different parts of the game, or at least this is my uh, translation of his slightly broken English. And he said that we're enjoying playing football, which is obviously important. But those first two points, I mean, I think that's an evolution, isn't it? The fact that, we're not caving when the game changes. And I was going to ask you if you had an opinion on why we managed to cope so well with the last half an hour of the game. And just to give Dave some air time now, Dave, do you, do you think it was just a case of West Ham being tired towards the end of that game? Or do you think Spurs actually did anything to counter the threat that they were starting to pose? Um, it's definitely the second one. Um, yeah. it's just the tired thing, I just, I just never buy it. Yeah, especially Thursday, Sunday is the thing, and it has been the thing mm. for West Ham. And thirty minutes more, really, thirty minutes more, and that's going to just do yeah. you in, is it? <laughs> so yeah, I'm not having that. And I think it's a testament of the fact that, and it's a rolling up of the Brighton mm. result. You know, the Brighton result was controlled. The Brighton result, you were in control, and it, it always felt like you were in control and you'd won the game. And it felt the same. It felt the same. Yeah. If anything, I think you made West Ham look worse than they have been performing recently, which is, you know, as high a praise as you're going to get from me. I think that's fair. And I think it was actually our best performance of the season in many ways as well, because we obviously had our good performance against Liverpool to get the points against City as well. But those weren't games where we actually controlled the matches. Like We, we deserved to draw with Liverpool. We just, In fact, we might have deserved to beat them. We definitely deserved to beat City as well. But those were games where we set up to counter their strengths, not game, even though it wasn't counter-attacking football, the games were set up to nullify them and exploit errors, essentially. Whereas this game against Mm. West Ham, we imposed ourselves on them. And Mm. it's been a while since we've imposed ourselves on a good side. We've done it to weaker sides. We did it to your guys the other day, Dave. We've done it to to Brighton off the back of their bad run. But mm. West Ham are a good side. I said last week, they're a good side. I said when we, ahead of the game, we lost to them earlier on this season. They, they have good players. They have players that I like who I think would even improve our team. They have a really good manager. And we really, really just 
didn't allow them to get into any kind of rhythm where they could stop us playing our game because we played our game so well. And Conte made an interesting point. I can't remember quite the words he used, so I'll I'll paraphrase. But he said that it was the first time that pre-match he told the players to just go out there and create. And I don't think he means create in the way that we say create chances, that kind of thing. I think he always wants to do Mm. that. But (laughs) I think what he means is it's the first time he's really kind of trusted them to be able to play the game on their terms and and that's a really honest thing for a manager to say as well but I think Mm. I think he's right for the first time we we really looked like we could go toe-to-toe with a side who are roughly on the same level as us and actually think fuck you we're Spurs don't come into our manor and try and fuck shit up (laughs) That could be an episode title right there. there I mean, they I like did try to do that um, on Tottenham High Street, unfortunately, but, but that's yeah, another match. Yeah, which you witnessed. Indeed, indeed. Probably not for the first time, probably not for the last time. One man who normally has a lot of joy against us is Antonio. And I noticed quite early on, he seemed to be in for a bit of a rough day with Romero looking after him. Spent most of the game when he wasn't punching Eric Dyer in Romero's pocket. He had another good game, didn't he? Yes, he did. Um, he he uh, work with me here, Elliot. He, um, Elaborate. Well, I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Open I mean, I've got stats to, if I've, you really want. I do not want stats. Let's just go on the eye test. How often do you see Mikel Antonio come off early? He was dealt with very mm. fairly by Romero, but he's going to remember Romero for a while after yesterday. I, I can't imagine that Antonio's had a tougher game than that this season. And, it was it was all the goods of Romero in one match. He did yeah. lose the ball upfield once, and then he raced back and nicked it back by just putting himself between the player and the ball, which was lovely to see as well. And I mean, yeah. everything—the passing out of defense, him and Doherty together—it was like it was like watching um, the last World Cup winning Brazil team passing out of defense the way they were doing it. <laughs> I was, it was wondering. <laughs> I knew that was going to be a high comparison just for the hesitation. I was like, he's he's clearly thinking, should I say this? <laughs> well, the problem is I was trying to remember who Brazil's centre-backs were the last time they won the World Cup and then I remembered it was Roque Jr. Mm. That would not make a good comparison <laughs> in this context. Yeah. No, it really wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, fair. But fair it, it, was just, it was just so, so great to see and... That right-hand side of the pitch looks so well-tuned right now. Romero mm. into Benton Kerr with Doherty on the right and Kulisevsky yeah. further up. Like Those four between them are actually controlling that flank at the moment. And yeah. the left side isn't quite as strong. Son's obviously a top-class player. Obviously. Hoiberg's playing a lot better. Sessegnon and Regulon, we both have reservations with both. Davies, mm. we know what he is. We like him. We we probably feel like there's a level up from Ben Davies. So the left-hand side isn't quite the same, mm. but that right-hand side is absolutely brilliant right now. Yeah, and, uh, that right-hand side, it almost seemed very deliberate. It looked like we were deliberately focusing play down that side. We spent a lot of time on that. I don't know if we identified it as a weakness or it was one of our strengths, but it seemed like we were playing a lot on the wing. You know, Romero's our most comfortable defender on the ball. Doherty's our most natural wing-back. Benton Kurz are mm. our most dynamic midfielder and Kulisevsky's our most creative player whose initials aren't HK. So yeah, I think it probably was a tactic. 
Joe, the commentators I recall gave the man of the match to Son, and as we've just established, he's clearly a fraud and a terrible footballer, masquerading <laughs> as a world-class forward. Um, who would you have given the man of the match to? And it's okay if you want to say Son, if you want to cut him some slack, but who was your standout performer against West Ham from what you saw? Slash um, standout, probably Harry Kane, to be honest, because, again, his, his passing was just outstanding. A couple of uh, mislaid passes in the first half, but they weren't a massive deal. But everything else just seems to be working through him. And he, he seems to be linking up really well with Betancourt quite often now, I've noticed. And watching the highlights a couple more times, I, I spotted mm. that a bit more than perhaps I have in the actual live games. I think Son was the right man to give yeah. man of the match to, though, because, yeah, okay, he got the two winning goals, but his industry was pretty good. Yeah, some weird theatrics and a little bit of, of wastefulness, but, I mean, he probably could have got four goals. And I actually thought that the Kurt Zuma goal was a Son tap-in when I first saw it go in. But his first goal was to put us 2-0 up was gorgeous, just, you know, shimming onto his left foot and just smacking it so hard that it dipped <laughs> as it sort of... As soon as it went over the keeper, did not take a deflection. I didn't think I it took it a deflection. deflection. So maybe I missed. Maybe I've I seen the see replays it. a few times now, and from the replays, I can't tell if it took a deflection. It was pretty much mm. right in front of me where he hit it, and at the time, I did think it nicked off Zuma and looped over the goalie. However, sometimes when the ball hits that way, it does just move in the air, usually from much further distance than that. I mean, that's what Cristiano Ronaldo's free kicks are built on, aren't they? But but yeah. I at the time, I thought it took a nick. Replays mm. are really inconclusive, so I'm going to say it didn't, and it was pure son genius. <laughs> yeah. His second goal was right out of the Harry Kane playbook, wasn't it? It was almost the same finish as Kane's against Everton, where he gave the keeper the eyes and just kind of calmly slotted it over the other side. Very nice goal for Son there. Dave, anyone that we haven't talked about that you think deserves a mention from that game or any general comments that we, we might have missed out? No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think the only thing that I would add was, you know, and this is just me being jumpers for goalpost football, brilliant, mm. but... It's nice when you get a couple of players with strapping on their heads, like Terry Butchers. It's, <laughs> it just makes it feel like, like a proper match. Do you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> Ideally with a nice big blood stain seeping through as well, yeah? Like Paul Well, Ince yeah. Uh, the old concussion uh, yeah. concussion substitutions aren't being used that much. Although we used it, you, we used it on Friday. Um, which one of your players was the concussion? With one of the four injuries. Which one of your players? It was a click. He got headbutted by one of our own players. You just don't have any luck. I hope Bamford's not out for ages again. Hey, mm. It sounds like he's not out for, for a long time. Uh, but... Was Phillips on your bench as well, did I see? What is this, a Lee's podcast? <laughs> it would be funny if Everton went down, wouldn't it? Should have hired a manager. <laughs> and Frank Lampard gets his weekly bashing from Dave on the show. Are you impressed at how I completely... You, anything more to talk about the West Ham game? Yeah, you were <laughs> like, talk about how, how am I going to shoehorn Frank Lampard into this? He played for West Ham? No, that's too obvious. That's too on the nose. Let's work this a bit more of a difficult angle. I love this, the screenshots you sent over of that tweet saying, I could name 10 managers better than Xavi. <laughs> And Frank Lampard is on the list. I, I love, I love that. Yeah, from a Chelsea fan, it's worth oh, mentioning. Yeah, yeah. They, they, yeah we, we Twitter is uh, is is hit and miss. Let's say to be nice. Right, so we should probably get on and talk about upcoming fixtures. And obviously, we've got quite a few 
winnable games, I hesitate to say. But the next one is Newcastle, who went for a little bit of a revival recently, but they have lost their last couple of games. We are going to have another chance to preview it in a bit more detail, probably on our next episode. So let's not spend too much time on it. But Dave, let's let's come back to you here. Talk to me about Newcastle. What do you think of them under Eddie Howe? Do you think they are a worry for Spurs? Right. So Newcastle. So Eddie Howe is a good manager and they spent £100 million in January. Mm. It is not rocket science. Yeah. Uh, they are doing well because they have better players than they had and the manager has had some more time with them and they are getting results when they need to get results and winning the games that they should win. That's my Newcastle preview. Very good. But more importantly, the Spurs April preview. Mm. And my prediction is that Conte will win manager of the month. Well, to read out our fixtures, we have Newcastle home, we have Villa away, we have Brighton at home, Brentford away, and then Leicester at home. Who wants to dare predict how many points out of 15 we're going to get from those five? (laughs) Dave's thrown his hand up in the air. Come on, Dave. (laughs) Let's have it. Let's have it. Don't you dare say 15. I think you should get 13 points. Yeah, I'd go with that. I think it wouldn't be a shock. 11 at a minimum, but we should get 13. Based on the points you tend to need to get Champions League, if we do want to get Champions League, we have to get at least 11 and probably 13 in the next few games because really anything less than 72 points doesn't get you Champions League football historically other than the Mm. odd anomaly. So from our remaining nine games, we do need to get seven wins in my opinion. And one of those probably needs to be Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't know when the Arsenal game is, although I've heard some rumours for the conspiracy theorists among us that Harry Redknapp slipped up on Sky Sports and mentioned that it was going to be on the last weekend of the season it's as if he knew and then backtracked very quickly when pressed on it and they denied it, which sounds a little bit dodgy. I don't know if it's set in stone yet and anyone has that information. But I don't know about funny. Harry Redknapp, but it's definitely the premise... <laughs> In any ordinary circumstance, the game would have already been rescheduled. Mm. Sky are waiting to see if it's going to be a shootout for fourth place. I would not be shocked if it was the penultimate game of the season. I'm all for it. I'm all for the drama. I think that'll be a lot of fun. I mean, poor Arteta needs to postpone as many games as possible, right? He's had a really rough fixture run. He's been complaining to the Premier League that his players are too tired and they can't compete. Anyway, let's focus on beating Newcastle. I'm looking at their lineup from their loss the other day to Everton and... I don't see one player that I would want anywhere near our team. Chris would, I guess, on our bench by virtue of the fact that we don't have a forward on the bench, but that's about it. Joe Linton, he's a handy player. I guess he'd have a part to play, but... I quite like the way he's been reinvented as a kind of defensive midfielder by Eddie Howe. He obviously thought, well, this guy can't score. Let's see what else he can do, which is interesting. (laughs) I mean... Bit of a a change of career, isn't it? Joe Linton has a bit of ability and he's an absolute warhorse in terms of strength and mm. he's done a bit of a Dembele actually in terms of moving from the front back into midfield and that that's kind of what he's become he's become a bit of a poor man's Musa Dembele and that's not an insult that's no. that's praise for sort of what he brings them but I mean if we slip up against Newcastle having just got the couple of results we've got I will be very very upset not least because that will be an another late Sunday night for me. Fair point. Joe, do you think we are going to win four out of our next five games? And as things stand, who's favourites for fourth spot? Martin Keown thinks it's us. Yeah, mind games. Emotional hedging. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I look at those fixtures and I mean, I feel like 
we should be getting double-digit points, but I'm still so scarred from the Southampton-Burnley back-to-back we had, which should have handed us six points in this fight for fourth place, and we completely screwed that one up. So I feel much more confident in this Spurs team now than I did a couple of months ago, but I still don't have massive confidence. I actually watched the Newcastle-Everton game, okay. strangely, yeah, and... It, it was a weird one. I thought Newcastle looked really composed on the ball, which isn't a huge surprise when you've had Andy Howe in, in the job for a while. And they, they've obviously, the quality of the team's gone up so much since the January transfer window, as Elio alluded to. But they really screwed up losing against 10 men with 14 minutes or whatever it was of stoppage time. They didn't seem to know what they were doing tactically. And I, I don't know how they, they dropped the ball there and walked away with zero points. So there are deficiencies in that team. They're much better on the ball than they were, but that should be three points. But the fact I've said it should be three points is what concerns me. (laughs) Well, we seem to say that every week, don't we? In fairness, we did say we should beat Brighton and we should beat West Ham. And we did. Who knows? Maybe Spurs have turned over a new leaf. I am going to be cautiously optimistic, but let's see what happens. It's going to be an interesting interesting few games, as Dave said. And I think that's a bold call there, saying Conte for manager of the month. And you can see it. You can definitely see it. Elio, quick pre-challenge Elio challenge for you. Can you tell me what happened today, 23 years ago? We won the League Cup against Leicester. It indeed. Nice memory. Do you remember it well? No, I saw that on Twitter earlier. Oh. But I do remember it well because I was there. So, brief trip down memory lane. It was an absolutely horrible final, but I didn't care because it was the first one I was at. Both teams were just... Poor, which is nice. There was a time when you could have two mediocre sides in a cup final. Yeah. God, you won't see that anymore, will you? Then Robbie Savage, who mm. I like a hell of a lot more these days than I liked him when he was a player. Oh, yeah. In fact, I hated him when he was a player. He goes down holding his face and yeah. make, makes Son look like Mike Tyson <laughs> after Justin Edinburgh, rest in peace, flicked mm. him on the back of the hair. Edinburgh gets sent off and uh, I can't even remember who the ref was it was probably David Ellery or some pillock like that and the game enters the final stages with it looking like uh, a Leicester win over 10-man Spurs before Stefan Everson goes on the most fantastic of runs hits the ball as hard as he can straight at Casey Keller who parries it inexplicably straight into Alan Nielsen who writes (laughs) himself into Spurs history forevermore Mm. and gives me my first of only two um, glimpses of us winning silverware in my first cup final. So really, really a wonderful day engraved in the memory and I'll forever remember one Ramon Vega who's a very popular Twitter presence these days absolutely saving us despite having a broken foot from a Heskey equaliser at the death when Heskey had Mm. just turned Sol Campbell so lots to like about that day even if it was an absolutely shocking football match I feel like that's the only thing I ever remember Alan Nielsen doing, which doesn't bode well for how good a footballer he was. Maybe that's unfair. But weirdly, the thing I remember most from that game is probably that red card. And it was, I don't know if you saw the same tweet, but it was actually Justin Edinburgh's son, Charlie, posting the picture of that incident saying 23 years ago today. So yeah, I I do remember. I, I remember the Chelsea one a little bit more clearly though, I have to admit. Joe, do you remember the Leicester final, the 99 Worthington Cup final in great detail? Not in great detail, not the way Elio does. Not in Elio detail, no one does, no, no. But safe to say that was our first taste of success and we probably all thought we'd win a lot more between then and now, but never mind. Right, I think we are almost ready for 
Challenge Elio, which is the closing piece to all of our podcasts. If you're a regular, you will know. And if you are new, Challenge Elio basically takes the format of Elio versus everyone else who cares to join the podcast in a Spurs trivia game. It's not all Spurs, but it is mainly Spurs. And it's going to be another opportunity for Elio to showcase his unnatural memory and knowledge about Spurs, as he just did so emphatically about a match played in 1999. So we'll get on to that now. And I'm going to ask a few questions. And we've got three questions today. The third of which, of course, is the Who Am I game, which is what we always finish on. Dave, are you feeling confident this week after seeing Elio set a brand new record in your favorite game? I mean, that was impressive uh, last <laughs> week. You can't, it was, you can't it was dance around that. If you didn't listen last week, Elio took no more than two facts? clues to work out that I was talking about Michael Dawson. And those two clues were... Four caps, ten goals, wasn't it? Yep, four cap, yeah. four international caps. Didn't even say for which country. And he'd scored ten goals for Spurs. And that was enough for Elio to deduce that I was talking about Michael Dawson, which is, is frankly ridiculous. But let's hope he doesn't do quite that well this week. We'll get onto that in, in a moment. But before that, we're going to get into question one. And as the international break is upon us, I have chosen a slightly international themed quiz this week for challenge elio so as i often do in our regular format the first question is very much a spurs question the second one is more of a neutral one and then we do the, the who am i so for question one guys and it is elio against joe and dave this week i would like you guys to name the eight spurs players who have played in a world cup final and for a bonus point you get a bonus point if you can name the ones who, while being Spurs players at the time. So, should we flip a coin for this one? I'm more than happy for them to go first. Oh, very gracious of you, Elio. You're giving them the advantage. So, Dave and Joe, you may confer between you and then give me a name. You have eight players to name who have played, not necessarily won, but played in a World Cup final who have played for Spurs. They don't have to have been playing for Spurs at the time. Just ex-Spurs players or current Spurs players who have played in a World Cup final. Who's your first guess? guess we'll go for uh, Luis Hugo. Dave, is that your final answer? Do you concur? Yeah, that's one of the two that I've got written down. Excellent. And the only one I'm actually confident about. <laughs> well, you'll be delighted to hear that that is, of course, correct. And you can have a bonus point because he was, of course, a Spurs player at the time and lifted the trophy, no less. Elio. Martin Peters. Very good. Right at the other end of the spectrum. He was the first one in this list. And Hugo was one of the most recent. Martin Peters, better known for his time at West Ham, of course, but he scored in the final for England, 1966. Back to you, Joe and Dave. We have six remaining. Dave, I think I know who your second one's going to be. Do you want to go for it? <laughs> Let him say it. Come on, Dave. Have your moment. Well, I don't know if it is, um, mm. but I've written down Musa Sissoko. Joe, are you going to go with Musa Sissoko? That isn't who I thought Dave was going to say, but um, let's go for it. Okay, well, you said who you <laughs> I thought, thought I was going to say. I thought you were going to say and, Modric. And then we'll decide. <laughs> who are you going to go for? No, Modric I wasn't. Or do that. Definitely and say let that. Me, let me just clarify, by the way, for the avoidance of doubts, we're talking about players who actually played in the match, whether as a substitute or a starter, not players who were just in the squad when their team won the World Cup. Okay, go for yeah. Modric then. Let's go for Modric. Yep. Modric. Is correct. In the same final as Hugo Lloris in 2018. They're the two easy ones out of the way. Now it gets a bit trickier. So we've got five remaining. Elio got Martin Peters, you got Modric and Lloris. Back to you, Elio. What's your next guess? Jurgen Klinsmann. Very good. Can you tell me the year? Uh, 1990, Italian 90. 
that is correct, Jürgen Klinsmann. And he also won it. But that was, that was before he signed for Spurs, I believe. Just before. Back to you guys. Pressure is on. Elio's faultless as usual. I guess we'll go for Ricky Villa. Dave, do you agree with that one? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good contribution, Dave. Yes, I agree. Ricky Villa. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Ricky Villa does have a World Cup winning medal, but he did not play in that final. Oh, man. Which I learned today. I would have definitely guessed that. He only played a couple of games in that World Cup, but he did not play a minute of the final. So it comes back to Elio. His mate, however, did win <laughs> that final. Aussie Ardealers. He did. He did indeed. They've given oh, you a bit of a man. bit of a tap in rebound there, haven't they? But I'm sure you'd have got it anyway. Aussie Ardealers did. And Elio, the year? Oh, uh, 78. It was 78. Very good. So we have three remaining, and they're probably the three most tricky ones. Not to say they're impossible, but it's kind of playing out how expected. So back to you, Joe and Dave. Three to go. Not going to give you any clues yet. Do you have any ideas? No. Um, Where's your mind taking you? What's your thought process? Are you just working through World Cup finals and thinking? Uh, yeah, I'm working through World Cup finals and Argentinians. There must be more Argentinians in there somewhere. Argentinians and okay. Frenchmen. Dave, are you are you out at this point? Is this the end of Dave's contribution for this particular question, or are you still? Are you, yeah, I can't I, see you. I, I are, mean, you are you writing I'm, notes down? I'm writing notes down. But yeah, I'm striking out quite hard. Okay, mm. um, I am going to have to hurry you a little bit. In fairness to Elio, I'm not going to give clues out yet because I'll wait until both of you have wiped out or blanked before doing that. Maybe I'll start giving the years. Any guesses, Elio? Do you think you've got one lined up? Um, I'm thinking. I've got. I've got my thoughts. Elio can have a go if, uh, if we're taking too long. Uh, I should say, by the way, there's, yeah, I, there's I, a distinct possibility that there will be at least one I've missed, as you probably all assumed. But I think I did my homework correctly. Yeah, I can't think of anybody. This was a deep dive into Wikipedia rather than someone already providing me with a list. <laughs> can, can we read? Oh, oh, oh hang on. No, you can't, on. Read, you can't read Wikipedia, Elio, if that's what you're about to ask. I was going to ask if we can recap who we've had so far, but Dave might have an answer. Yeah, I can recap if you'd like, but Dave, do you have one? Well, I'm, ju- I'm just trying to remember who was ever in World Cup finals. To be that would help. I'm, that, I'm not going to lie, that, that would help. That's my level right now, <laughs> but I've just, remembered, I've just remembered that Holland were in a World Cup final. When? So did Van der Vaart play? If that's going to be your official guess, I can tell you. When do you think he would have played? When they got beat by Spain, I can't, I'm not going to go give you the year. Joe, will you accept that answer on behalf of Team Joe? I think if um, Van der Vaart had come to played. Spurs by then, uh, let's let's go for it. I haven't got a better idea. Doesn't matter oh, if he did. Joe, knows. that's not that doesn't matter. Anyone oh, who's ever played for Spurs, uh, yeah, let's go for Van der Vaart. Criteria. Van der Vaart came on as a sub in the 2010 final against Spain. Very good. All right. Anyway, are you going to go for that one? Was that on your uh, on your shortlist? It was not. Mm, very good but I am expecting just as much time to answer this question as they've <laughs> you can expect all you like to be fair it's getting a little bit tricky now so we've got two left so who have we had we've had Van der Vaart our dealers I will say this and I don't think this is too much of a clue I did say at the beginning that there are two while being Spurs players That's at nice. the time and one of them we've said is Hugo Lloris we haven't said the other okay so I don't had... know how much that helps just recap who we've had god damn it I've asked you four times we... <laughs> We've had, we have had Hugo Lloris, 2018, Luka Modric, 2018, Rafael van der Vaart, 2010, Jurgen Klinsmann, 1990, Ozzy Ardealis, 1978, and Martin Peters, 1966. 
The two remaining. And are these just players who've won the World Cup, or are these players. people who have won the World Cup who happen to play for Spurs, like a certain England manager, for instance? That's a. I, w- I almost put that in, and that's nice outside the box thinking. But no, Alf Ramsey okay. is not on this list. But I like where your mind's at. Oh dear, this is quite hard, isn't it? Um, played in the one. World mm. Cup final, so they could have been the losers. Um, yep. Obviously, it said Klinsman. We've... If you don't get it on this go, I think I can. Shall I say the year of both? I I don't know. Go on, give um, us the year. I think that's probably the best way to do it. Shall oh. I make it a free-for-all now? I don't want a clue yet. No. They've had one more question than me for a start. <laughs> Elio, <laughs> Elio doesn't have, hasn't had enough time for this question yet. He wants at least another three minutes. Oh. I've got a couple of wild cards to throw your way, Dags. I like wild cards, Joe, but let's give Elio his guess. You can skip, Elio. I know you hate forfeiting a go, but you can Well, no, I'm just trying to think... Guess logically through World Cup finals. They're both quite tricky. Any in the France-Italy game. I don't think we did. I think they're both players that when you hear it, you'll be like, oh, yeah. But it's not obvious. They wouldn't immediately come to mind. I'm trying to think, do we have anyone in the Argentina-Germany game? I can't think that we did. What do you think, guys? Has Elio had enough time on this guy? Dave, do you want to start a countdown for Elio? Um... (laughs) No, I, I'm happy to give him as much time as he needs because oh, too nice. we haven't got too any content. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to give clues out after this, actually. But. I tell you what, yep. I'm almost definitely wrong with this, but just on the off right. chance, did Luca play when Croatia lost to France? He did not. Yeah. I did look that up because I, I, I thought that as well. But no, he did not. He might have been in the squad, possibly, but I think Vrishalko was the right back in that game and the centre-backs, God knows who they were. So it goes back to you guys. Is it, is it clue time, guys? Am I going to give you the year We've from only which you can just deduce? had someone not getting it right, so I'm not sure it is yet. But if these guys okay. want based, to, based, based on me not I'm, knowing, I'm in no hurry. Based on me not knowing any of the years or any of the teams, <laughs> this is going to be a challenge. Oh, it's all on Joe. So it's all on to you, Joe. No pressure. Um, I don't suppose Fernando Llorente was in the Spain team in 2010. Llorente was not. So he is not on the list. Welcome back, Dave. Joe just gave an answer without your permission. It was wrong. How do you feel about this? <laughs> <laughs> Dave, are you, well, give, are you still give us, with us? Give us the years after Elio's next try. I think he's just having a nap. I think the hangover has <laughs> just kicked up a year. He's using this as an excuse. Well, no pressure, Joe, but it, it's all it's all on you here until we can retrieve Dave. Okay, if I give you the years, are we saying that it's a free-for-all shout-out oh, names rather God. than... Oh, I know one. Elio, let's I have it. One. I don't know. I know he'd have been in the squad because this was when he was at his best, but would he have been in the team? William Gallas? Final answer. When France lost to Italy? I can't think of anyone else, so yeah. William Gallas played for France in 2006 World Cup final. <laughs> oh, dear. The Zidane final. Well, there's one left, so this is your big moment. I think Elio's won anyway. Actually, no, he hasn't because the one that remains has a bonus point because it's one of the two that was playing for Spurs at the time. So if you guys get it, then you can tie this round. Otherwise, Elio takes it. And if you don't know it, then I think I'll read out the year. Only criteria for this, they have played for Spurs and they have played for Spurs at any point. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it was before, after, during. In this case, it is during. Yeah. Have you had equal guesses now? Because you guys did go first. I think now... I can. Yeah, we've had equal guesses. If I if I give you the year, does it then open up as a free for all when Elio has a chance to guess? Okay, the year was two thousand and two in Japan and South Korea. 
Stefan Freund? Rocky Jr.? <laughs> <laughs> I know he's on the nope. squads, but I don't remember him playing. Ziga. Um, Dave just said it. Ziga. Oh, was it Ziga? Dave just said it. It was Christian Ziga. Ziga. Christian Ziga. He yeah. played for you, didn't he? He did. I, mean, I think it's easy to forget that he did, but he did. And he was in the German team for that final, which he didn't well, win. Dave. I don't, re- um, I don't remember Ziga. Won, but yeah. I don't remember Ziga as a Spurs player, you see. I remember him as a Liverpool player. He was injured player. the whole bloody time. I, I think same that's for the, that's the I reason Gallas and Ziga were difficult yeah. ones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that, they, they were well quite done. Right. Moving I was on to go, question two. I was hoping for Gilberto Silva. Wait, wait, wait. There is someone yeah. that you have missed. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Who Isn't did I miss? That? This isn't a serious answer. He doesn't count, obviously. <laughs> but in 1990, the losing finalists did have one Diego Maradona, who did make one appearance. Oh, that's that's brilliant. You know what? If I'd caught that, I probably would have put it in he there played just into, to be. He played in two finals, technically. He did. So that should he be did. two points for Maradona. Although in, ni- no, in 1990, I don't think he, played. I think he was suspended. Wasn't he sent home? No, it was then? 94 that he got suspended. Ah, that's right. Yeah, he definitely played in the 86 final, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's um, That would have been really nasty if I put that in there, but you'd have probably got it anyway. Right. The next question is still an international theme, but coming back to the Premier League now, what I'd like you guys to try and do is to name, and I'm only going to give you hmm, 10 guesses each. I would like you to name the top 20 or as many of the top 20 as possible, foreign goal scorers, all-time goal scorers in the Premier League. And foreign in this context simply means not English. So Welsh, Scottish and Irish, yep. well, Northern Irish count, and Republic yep. of Ireland. Republic of Ireland, obviously, as well. Yep. So those all count for these purposes. So I'm going first this time? You should probably go first this time. Yeah, I think we'll have 10 goes and just tally up the points. And top 10 players, so you yeah. Get the most. I've got a top 20, so I'm giving you a wide berth here, but yeah. All right. Um, Thierry Henry. Thierry Henry is number two. Very good. Back to you guys. Can someone with a pen keep notes of how many guesses we've all had? <laughs> um, I would go, like to go... And, and the players, actually, because I don't have a pen. And the players. I would like to go for Sergio Aguero. Number one. Very good. That's the top two. Elio? Robbie Keane. Robbie Keane is in there. Number six. Ledge. Yeah. Um, might or might not be the only Leeds player. In the wow. Um, <laughs> Van Persie. Van Persie's number three. Very good. Peppering the top of the it's list. It's a bit easier, this one, isn't it? This is a bit nicer. Van Nistelrooy. Van Nistelrooy is in there. He's lower down than I thought. He is number 16 with 95 goals. I guess he wasn't there as long as some of the others. Back to you guys. Joe, any ideas? Um <laughs> Come on, Jeff. So the five I've written have all been said, so I'm just trying to make some more. I keep thinking of English <laughs> that's, strikers. That's, that's, do you know, that's why I've do you know, said it. Do you know what would make this fun? Do you know what would make this fun? We keep going until someone gets one that isn't in there and then they just lose. <laughs> Sudden so that death. might be right now. <laughs> it might be as Joe goes to give his first answer. <laughs> hmm. I keep thinking of more, players, so I'm just not convinced are going to be in the top 20. Oh, I've got one. Go on then, Dave. You can, you can jump Drogba. in. You're on the same team. Drogba is there. Very good. Not... That how many did Drogba up. have? Number 12, with 104 goals. And how many did Van Nistelrooy have? 95, in significantly fewer games. I think it's well established now that Drogba's goal scoring was a bit of a myth in terms of quantity. That's your idea? Bit of a risk here, Dimitar Berbatov. Dimitar Berbatov just creeps in at number 17. I thought you'd, I thought you'd lost that. 94, 94 goals. I quite like this. If you name one that's not on there, you lose game. I don't know what we do if you name all 20, but... Uh, I've got another one. Let's have it, Dave. Anelka. Anelka is number five. <laughs> with a grand total of 126 goals. It's getting tense now. 
Are we all in agreement that if you don't get it, if you don't get one on the 20, you you lose this round? Yeah. Because I like it. <laughs> I like it. I like that. Um, Elio, no pressure, but we've had a fair few of these 20 already. Dwight York. Dwight York is in the list. Very good. He's number seven with 123 goals. Back to Joe and Dave. The pressure mounts. I don't have anybody. How many have we had now, Elio? Is uh, that seven or eight? One, two, three, four. Nine. I've had five and Dave had four. I guess oh, only eleven left. Ronaldo Andy. must be in there. You going for Ronaldo? Yeah. Dave, do you accept that answer? I accept it as an answer. I don't accept him as a human being. <laughs> well, thankfully for you, he is in the list with ninety-six goals in at number fourteen. Three of them, unfortunately, were the other day against us. <laughs> Thanks. And and many more, I imagine, from years gone by. Um, that's you Elio that's half of them done it's not all the top 10 though there's a few fairly high up that you could still get I'm now hoping this goes right down to the wire <laughs> this is difficult you look nervous Elio I am nervous because <laughs> I lost the last one Five, as well four three two <laughs> stop that Joe just because of how bloody long he played I'm gonna and I'm guessing he didn't score that many in his young career I'm gonna go with Ryan Giggs it's a bold guess, but he is in the list. Very good. 109 goals in about 600 and something games. And he is actually number 10. Back to you guys. Joe, you reckon Salah scored enough goals yet? Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, he must have. He recently got to... Um, yeah, yeah, he he must have. Because the majority of goals in his career will be Liverpool now, won't they? Yeah. Yeah, because he set a record recently of some form. Yeah, definitely you Salah. For Salah? That, definitely. Dave? All right, yep. Salah is correct. He is on the list Ooh, at number nine right. with 117, according to Transfer Marked, which is my source, in case anyone contests. It must, it must have been his 100th. Probably Liverpool. it was like the fastest to 100 or yeah, something like some that. Th- yeah, 100 came up recently. And it's back to Elio, and we now have... Or eight left. I'm going to go with his mate, Sadio Mane. His mate, Sadio Mane, is on the list. <laughs> In at number 11, 107 goals. Good question. For a minute there, I thought he wasn't. Dave, I've texted you a couple of ideas. Oh, hang on. So how many, how many should we have left, Elio? I mean, I know I should be able to tell you this, but how many... So we've got 13 so far. Okay. Joe, Dave. I think both of them are good guesses. All right. Well... I'm happy with either of them. Mate. He, oh, is I'll he go, is he texting you? Answers? Okay, that's very smart. Yeah. Um, Which we'll one are you going to go for? We'll go for Tevez. Tevez is not oh. on the list. He must be close. Oh. He must be close. Nah. Wow. Tevez is not there. I mean, I'm happy to keep I'm going double, if they are. Instead, instead of sudden this. deathing it, I'm happy to keep going. I'll be gracious. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You might as well. We're, we're, we're so close, but yeah. Unlucky. He's not on there. I can tell you the lowest number that makes it into this list is 90 goals. And I, I can't imagine Tevez has far fewer than that. He, I think he, he's he got... I'm looking at his Wikipedia now. Um, I mean, when 80, I was looking at this 87. list... Oh, he must. 80, not. I, yeah, I was about to say when I was looking at this list earlier. I think I saw him in the low twenties. Painfully close. Mm. That is very close. Right, let's try and clean up the rest, shall we? And there's no pressure now, so you can just shout out names. Joe, Joe, shout the other one out. Uh, Hasselbank. <laughs> you, 
you should have gone with Jimmy. Hasselbank <laughs> is actually number four on the list, would you believe? Oh, no way. Oh, outstanding. Wow. <laughs> 127. It's actually, it's not that, they're all quite tightly packed, to be fair. But yeah, Hasselbank from his four clubs in the Premier League. Well, I'm going to go with Hasselbank's mate and say Mark Viduka. <laughs> Dave must be kicking himself. He is in there. Mark Viduka with 92 yeah. goals. Oh, uh, yeah. In at number because 18. Because of his post Leeds career, probably. Yeah. Well, he played for. I always forget that he three, played for three clubs, and, uh, and Middlesbrough. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Is Hasselbank quite good for Middlesbrough as well? Didn't they get to European final with him in the team? Yeah. That was uh, Stephen yeah. Claren's finest hour. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. Go yeah, two yeah. nil down in every game and just throw four forwards off the bench. Go nuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do we have left? Three, four. Uh, we must have five left. Are they all strikers? Yeah, we've got fifteen, so we've got five left. Of the ones left, yeah. The only one I wouldn't call a striker is Giggs, and he's been said. Assuming you count the likes of Mane and Salah as strikers and not midfielders like FPL. <laughs> uh, what about so Johnson? Who? No, no, he's not there. No, he never scored. Think of Hasselbank partners. Zola. There's no Zola. Are, are we going to see this out to the end? Yeah, come on. as well. But let's fire out some strikers. Oh, is Bergkamp on there? I think you can do this. He's not actually. Eric Winalda. Who? <laughs> Mark Hughes. No, no Mark Hughes, actually. But then most of his goals wouldn't have been Premier League, would they? That's true, actually. Ian no, he Rush. must have played in the Premier <laughs> That's even further back. <laughs> Niall Quinn? No. No. Niall. No, Niall Quinn. In his disco pants. Say the club, and we'll just, we'll get it. Yeah. Or the most prominent club, maybe. Manchester United. Manchester United. Two of them have played for Manchester United. Has anyone said Lukaku? No, they Lukaku. haven't. Lukaku. And he is on there. <laughs> Lukaku oh, is correct. God. Played for four clubs. So yeah, one of them has played for two of our London rivals. Not Giroud. Yeah, Giroud. 90 goals. Giroud. For Arsenal and Chelsea. Giroud. Another World Cup winner with 90. Wow. So that leaves one Man United, one Everton, mostly, and one Spurs. Not, not just Spurs. Not Duncan Ferguson. Who, not Duncan Ferguson, no. <laughs> 90 headers. No. <laughs> um, not just To everyone who's still listening, Spurs. thank you. Yeah. Who were the others? So one United, one Spurs, and who was the other? Everton. I mean, as in the ones you'd associate them with most. Well, the Spurs one, you wouldn't necessarily associate him most with Spurs, but we would, I guess. Everton? I mean, like, fuck mm. is it Stefan Everson, so I'm fucked. It is not <laughs> Stefan Everson. Yakubu? Yeah. Yakubu. Yakubu. Yeah. I forgot Yakubu was even a player. Yeah. Didn't he score four or five in one game once? Yeah. He was a he was an absolute yeah. ninety six goals for four clubs. I couldn't tell you the other three, but yeah. Four, four clubs, definitely. And then we have just two left. One of them played for Man United, and the other played for four clubs, including Spurs. Emmanuel Adebayor. Emmanuel Adebayor (laughs) with 97 Premier League goals. And the last one, I can't believe we haven't said this one, really. I guess because his club has had so many great strikers. Played for Manchester United. Primarily for Manchester United. Louis Sahar? Exclusively. No. Exclusively. Oh, um, Oli. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Of course. 91, mostly off the bench. Oli Solskjaer. Scored a rather important one as well, I heard. A rumour. Brilliant. So there you go. And that's it. So all we have left is the Who Am I game. Very good, guys. That only took about half an hour, but... So, 
Final part of Challenge Elio, as it always is, is the Who Am I game. And as we mentioned earlier, Elio got this in two clues last week. So I'm, I'm really hoping we take a little bit longer I'm this hoping time we don't. It's been I'm two hours. Going to... One clue. Come on, let's <laughs> yeah. do this. I'm, I'm going to give a series of clues about a former or current Spurs player, and they're going to try and guess who I'm talking about. So I'm just going to read out the clues, guys. And I think this time, Joe and Dave go first. Yep. We're going to get Which it. means Elio might get it on the second clue. So you, no pressure. You've got to get it this time. Won't get the, won't get the chance to do it. First clue. I have played for one other English club. Uh... You can pass. It's fine. <laughs> You're just worried that Elio's going to have a guess no, the next I mean, we time. We need to you? guess it. It needs to be a good one. Um, it's the only way you're going to break the record. Um, oh, no, I can't, I can't think. No? Next clue. I have 16 full international caps. Anyway, I know you want to have a guess. Oh, I will. <laughs> Aurelio Gomez. No. Imagine if. I am five foot ten. Imagine. It is, it, well, it's not him because he is five foot ten. Yeah, he was a bit bigger than that, wasn't he? A little bit, I imagine, yeah. Any guess? No. No? Moving on? Oh. My middle name, I know you love middle names, is Vincent. 16? No, no, I want to have a guess. No, okay. Um, one other English club. <laughs> yeah. 16 international caps, 5, five foot 10. 10. Middle name middle Vincent. Now I'm just fixated on <laughs> Belgians and Dutch players for some unbeknownst reason. Vincent Company, probably. <laughs> Van, Van Gogh. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I can't think of it. Middle names can be red herrings, can't they? That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> I scored 27 goals. For Spurs. <laughs> You're thinking of CD and Yaya again. Yeah. yeah. Clint, CD, Yaya, but don't see <laughs> I scored 27 goals for Spurs. And Elio, if you ask me if that's league goals or all goals, then you know what the answer is going to be. I think that's it all. I don't have any nope. idea. No. Nope. Joe, anything? Are we passing over? Next clue? I'm, I'm fixated on Vincent as well. I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping it's going to be Raphael Vincent van der Vaart. Just all the V's. <laughs> no, nah, yeah, it's... Name. More than 16 international caps, I imagine. Mm. Any guess? Or do you want the next clue? No. 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 Next uh, clue. I have worn the captain's armband for Spurs. Narrows it down a bit. 16 international caps, captain's armband for Spurs. God, we didn't do very well for captains, did we? Unless he played for a really good country. This is a tricky one, I think. As it's proving. Um... Alan Nielsen. No. It was not Alan Nielsen. Next clue. I have played in two domestic cup finals and one European cup final. When you say European cup, you don't mean the European cup. I don't cup. necessarily you mean, mean the, European, the European, European cup. Yeah, a European cup final. Any guesses, guys? I'm getting to the point mm. where I'm thinking it might be Wikipedia time, but I'm not I sure. I haven't got a guess. No. Next clue. My footballing hero was Bobby Moore. Any ideas? Keep thinking of West Ham players we might have signed that loved Moore. Well, he did grow up as a West Ham fan, if that wasn't kind of implied by that. Not that that would necessarily help, but he did support West Ham. Another clue? Yeah, go on. A former manager once said about me, He's so versatile. He can play in any number of positions. I've seen him at fullback, centre-half, and in midfield. We need an all-rounder with the injuries we've got. 
Five for ten, middle name Vincent. Twenty-seven Spurs goals. Twenty-seven Spurs goals. And only one other English club. Only one other English club. Sixteen international caps, not including under twenty-one. Played in two domestic cup finals. Defensive player. And a European Cup final. Has been Spurs captain. Idolised Bobby Moore. And was described as so versatile he can play in a number of positions, including fullback, centre back, and midfield. Another clue. This is a quote from the man himself. Wait, wait, wait. I'm going to go. No, no. I don't know. If you have the talent, at some stage, luck may deal you a good hand. If you do not work to get the talent, then all the luck in the world won't help you. As the famous quote goes, it's amazing. The more I practice, the luckier I seem to get. And that's true for me. And with that, I'm heading to Wikipedia. (laughs) This is really tough. 27 Spurs goals, 16 international caps. Mm Mm-hmm. Fullback, centre back, midfield. I'm thinking you've gone pre Premier League. Would you do that? I would. What was that final clue? He did play in the Premier League, but he definitely goes into the pre Premier League era. What was the final clue? The final clue was a quote from him saying, If you have the talent, at some stage luck may deal you a good hand. If you do not work to get the talent, then all the luck in the world will not help you. As the quote goes, It's amazing. The more I practice, the luckier I seem to get. And that's true for me. It's always hard to gauge how difficult these are going to be until you actually run them. That's the thing. I don't. I ha- I've had a guess on my lips for the last few goes, but yeah. I don't think he got as many as sixteen international caps. I, th- I thought I think he barely played for England, but he's the only person I can think of. Yeah, have a guess. And he was with us long enough to score a lot of goals, even though he was a defender. Let's have it. <sighs> And I think the fact that he just said played in the 80s and the 90s, I think it's your old name for Gary Mavitt, but he, I don't think he played that much for England, so it probably isn't. But I'm going to go with Mavitt. It's Gary Mavitt. <laughs> Very right. good. Well done. It is. Well Very good. How long yeah. were you thinking of him for? Did you have last, the last few cues? You... I think from the second, you said he only played for one other English club. Which was? I, I was Joe? I, th- I think we got him from... Oh. oh um, your neck of the woods. Oh, no, I've lost it now. Bristol City? Yep. City? One of the Bristol, I think it was Bristol City. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was West Ham. Five foot ten was a bit of a, a shock, given that he played most of his games at centre back. Oh, I no, guess. I know he was quite small. So yeah, Rovers. Gary, he Vincent just, he just had a major operation the other day. Yeah, I mean that's kind of why I threw him in. I thought it was worth a little shout out. Most sources are saying that he is recovering well, including Mickey Hazard said he's uh, he's he's in good shape and he's hopefully on the road to recovery. Absolute Spurs legend by. Oh, Any measure. 16 years he played for you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the 27 goals thing was a bit of a, a red herring. There were some nasty yeah. clues in there, subtly nasty clues to throw you off a little bit. I, I wasn't expecting the rest of the podcast to have taken quite this long at the point we got here, but what can you do? What can you do? But uh, yeah, well done to Elio, who I think it's fair to say wins this week. Absolutely. With well done, uh, another excellent performance. Um, before I forget, just uh, another thanks to everyone who's listening and especially this, which is turning out to be quite a long episode. If you're still listening to this, then well done to you and thank you from all of us for doing so. But while you're here, just jump onto Twitter and give us a follow. If it's not too much trouble, just follow us at Plus Dave Podcast. If you fancy emailing us anything, then that is plusdavepodcast at gmail.com. And you know what? While you're there, why don't you just go and give Dave and Elio a follow? I would say Joe, but he's too cool for Twitter. So follow Dave at Fantasy Dave and Elio at Elio underscore P underscore THFC. That's Elio spelled E-L-I-O. So, guys, that has been a mammoth episode. We had a couple of wins to talk about, so God knows when that will be the case again. How are we all feeling? Elio? 
Confident? Um, Happy? Less enthusiastic than I was two hours ago. <laughs> no, I'm good. Are you looking forward to our next game at least? I am. Yeah? Even when we lose, I look forward to our next game. But <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to finish the season strong and I don't know where we'll finish. I think fifth is probably the safest bet, but it's nice to be a Spurs fan looking up at the moment. Dave's pointing at himself saying that that's where he predicted at the beginning of the season. Do you stand by that, Dave? Do you still think we're going to finish fifth? Yep, yeah, uh, I do. I also think it's. I think I've said this before, but it really is awful going into an international break off the back of a loss. So I'm yeah. glad we all won. Yeah, 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 it's it's nice, isn't it? We don't mind the little break. Joe, how do you see the rest of the season panning out? Are you in good spirits right now? Yeah, I feel I feel more confident than I did, you know, coming into this year. But Arsenal's form is good. Mm. Um, let's just hope that fixture list is tricky enough that they start to slip. But they they do look pretty good right now. Well. With that, I think it's time to say goodbye to you all, loyal listeners, and hope you join us again next week where we're not exactly sure what we're going to be talking about. We're probably going to be previewing a little bit of the Newcastle game, but we might have some kind of special feature for you. But rest assured, there will definitely be more Challenge Elio. So whatever the next episode brings, we hope you join us for it. We hope you follow us on Twitter. We hope you enjoyed today. So from all of us, stay classy Spurs fans, and we'll see you next week. Oh, they've done it! They've done it!